Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach. Welcome to the AUKUS Amplified podcast. My name is Sean Patel, and I am the chair of the AUKUS Digital Health Committee. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Ahmed Siddiqui from New Jersey. And today we have the pleasure of coming to you live from the AUKUS annual fall meeting where we'll be discussing some of the key papers presented today. And today we have the pleasure of having Dr. Drake Lebrun and Dr. Brian Chalmers from HSS to discuss their work titled, Does Melatonin Improve Subjective Sleep Quality After Total Knee Arthroplasty? A Randomized Placebo-Controlled Trial. Thank you guys for joining us and looking forward to hearing more about your work. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you, Drake and Brian. So what was the motivation for studying this topic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Research in my kind of background, I went to the Mayo Clinic for residency and, and did a lot of research there and continued as a fellow at, at HSS. And I was always interested in the the things that had the most metal, right? You know, the triflanges, the cones, the sleeves, that just was fun to, to research, fun to do. And then you get into practice and when you start your own practice, those things are still cool and to look at and research, but really, you know, you listen to your patients and that's, you know, one of the biggest things that you, you do every day in the office, seeing what patients complain about, seeing what they're, what, what you get worried about, you know, it's infection and how patients experience after surgery in the hospital, pain and their experiences in general postoperatively. And one of the biggest things that patients always complain about, especially after total knee replacement, is the poor sleep. I can't sleep. I can't get to sleep. If I get to sleep, I can only sleep for three or four hours. I'm taking oxycodone, but then I wake up at 2 a.m. And so that was a very, very common theme and talking to some of my partners and they you know, have the same experiences. And so we wanted to try to figure out how to make our patients' experiences and their quality of life in the first couple of months after surgery better. And so that's why we look at doing this study that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would just add to that, that if you if you look back in the recent literature, we've made improvements in pain control, multimodal pain control after knee replacement. We made improvements in range of motion and stiffness and function. But if you look at the improvements that we've made in sleep in recent years, it's hard to point out anything that we've really done well. And so it, it, we, you know, it prompts us to try to find some better answers for these patients. Yeah, we initially wanted to try, you know, because sleep is you know, everyone knows what it is, but it's a little bit hard to quantify and define, right? There's different patterns of sleep, quality of sleep, length of sleep, you know, somewhat subjective. And we just haven't done a good job of defining it like we can pain with a VAS pain score with number of oxycodone tablets taken. And it's very easy to define and sleep is just a little, little harder to define. So we initially actually wanted to try to do with a measurable, either a wearable device or something like that. And so we're hoping to do that in the future, but it just became a little bit challenging with this study just because of HIPAA compliance things and, and things like that. But, but trying to really measure it in the future, I think, will be, will be even more powerful. So can you briefly describe your study design and what you found? Absolutely. So this was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. We enrolled about 160 patients total, and we are powered to identify a minimal clinically important difference in the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index of two. And the, the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, or PSQI, is one of the most widely used and validated measures of subjective sleep quality used in orthopedics and other surgical subspecialties and in the sleep literature. So after enrollment and loss of follow-up, we were still sufficiently powered to identify a difference. And our primary study aim was to determine if melatonin would improve the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. And uh, in short, it did not. 
So our primary study finding was that melatonin did not improve subjective sleep quality at the two times that we measured, which were six weeks and 90 days. And then the secondary outcomes that we looked at were patient-reported outcomes related to pain and function. So the CUS, VAS, VR12 physical and mental, and the lower extremity activity score. And melatonin did not improve any of those. We did want to look at whether sleep quality would be associated with those patient-reported outcomes. And we did find that sleep quality was associated. So patients who slept poorly tended to fare worse in other domains reflected by their worst proms. But then we wanted to see, does melatonin affect that association? And the answer was no. So melatonin was not modifying the associations we found between sleep and the proms. Melatonin is commonly known to or thought to help with sleep. Have there been previous studies looking at the non-total knee population where it has been helpful that somehow just didn't cross over into the total knee population? Yeah, there have. There have been several. So in the surgical subspecialty world outside of orthopedics, they have looked at melatonin in the context of maxillofacial trauma and found that it helped. Breast cancer surgery, they found that it helped. Um, and other ENT surgeries, they found that it helped. Mm. So, so that's outside of orthopedics. And then within the realm of orthopedics, it has been looked at in the context of total knee and total hip replacement. And there was actually a study done by our institution about four or five years ago, looking at melatonin amongst total knee patients. And they just looked at sleep quality within the first five days after surgery. And their finding was that there was a trend toward improved sleep duration and quality, but they were underpowered to really determine that difference. So this study in a way was a follow-up to that, but big difference between their study and ours was that we were looking at a longer time frame. We were looking at six weeks and 90 days in the hopes of really addressing when patients come into see us for the first post-operative visit at six weeks and they say doc when is my sleep going to get better to have an answer for them mm -hmm. why do you think this population didn't respond as well as those other ones you mentioned yeah it's a good question i think that's sort of the crux of the problem right now we know that patients sleep poorly after knee replacement but why that is it's clearly multifactorial and so part of it probably is related to sleep. Part of it is because their knee just doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. Part of it may be because patients with total knee replacements have other underlying sleep problems that melatonin is not good at addressing. So if you delve into the sleep literature a little bit in general, melatonin is really effective at addressing sleep in patients with delayed sleep-wake phase disorders, okay, and jet lag. Those are the two areas where melatonin has been really effective. And then if you look at other populations like shift workers, it's the jury's still out. Even primary insomnia, the jury's still out. And so there may be something about knee replacement patients that does not make them amenable to benefit from melatonin, but it's not really clear why. Were either of you surprised by the findings of your study? Obviously, every time you do a prospective study, you want to find a difference, but uh, I think it's important to publish anyway. I was not surprised by it. I think the dose, while this was the safest dose and kind of most agreed upon dose that we could have, is, is probably a little bit low. And I think there's, like Drake said, a lot of things that go into patient sleep and patients even, you know, one of the biggest things of, you know, that I see in my own patients that why they want to have surgery is they have pain and they can't sleep at night even before surgery and then it, you know, gets worse afterwards. So I was not surprised that it did not show a major difference. And I was also not surprised that patients that did not sleep well also had poorer outcomes early because I see that just subjectively in my own patient population after surgery. What we can do to do better to try to help patients sleep better, I honestly don't know. <laughs> and we're going to continue to try to look at this and, and, and study this because I've tried everything. And some some patients have success and some others haven't. You know, I've tried Cymbalta. I've tried patients wrapping and icing before bed. You know, some patients take, you know, oxycodone. I think that's a dangerous thing because 
some patients, I think, you know, they're more likely to get addicted because they're, they're not in pain. They just take it before sleep because it helps them. And then it helps for three hours and then they have to take more. And then they're only taking it for six weeks, seven weeks after because of sleep, not for pain. Mm-hmm. So we've tried Benadryl, Tylenol PM, melatonin, CBD. And so we've tried all of those, but varying success. And so I think there's a lot of room to move and to improve for our patients. And we're excited to continue to try to do that. Did you follow these folks longer than the 90 days to figure out when they felt their sleep became more normal? So as part of the study, no, we didn't. But it's an interesting question because although it wasn't a primary aim of our study, we did want to figure out just what proportion of patients feels better at six weeks, what proportion of patients feels better at 90 days. And so what we found is that the mean sleep scores overall worsened at six weeks and then returned to the preoperative normal by 90 days. But if you if you break that down into the proportions of patients that feel better, worse, or the same. It was about 70% of patients felt worse at six weeks. Mm-hmm. About 20% of patients felt better, and that 10% of patients had the same. And then even at 90 days, when the mean sleep scores were normal, it was almost 50% of patients still had some residual deficit in their Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index at 90 days. And I've heard different timelines for when sleep gets better, and I, I'd be curious to hear what you sort of tell your patients, but one of the most common numbers I've heard is three months or 90 days. And, and our study showed that even at 90 days, a good chunk of patients, almost half, still have some sleep loss. Yeah, it, you know, it sounds like the bulk of this is primarily expectation management then, setting it up even before surgery then, mm-hmm. um, you know, for better education on the patient side. So what are you guys counseling your patients beforehand about this issue? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great, I think it's hard to counsel total new patients enough. <laughs> I try, but they, you know, when they haven't experienced it, it's hard to tell them, you know, I tell every single patient, you know, not only expectations, what a knee feels like, you know, a knee replacement's not a normal knee. It feels a little bit more stiff and mechanical and makes some noise. You're also going to have some lateral numbness and then you're not going to be able to kneel on it. That's very normal uh, and expectations of what it feels like. And then as far as the recovery, I, I'm point blank tell every patient is the difficult surgery to recover from. You know, the first few weeks is going to be pretty terrible. At three months, you're still going to be 85 to 90% of normal. And it really takes up to a year to do that. But, we, you know, I personally could probably counsel people better on how the sleeping is, is because I think that is a very, very common thing. But I think you have to tell all of your patients that it's difficult. You know, there's a reason we see very, very many patients who have bilateral knee arthritis that look the exact same that have one done and don't have the other one done until it's absolutely miserable for several years. You know, we all, we all seen those for our own patients and our partner's patients that, that, that we see. So it's just, it's a tough surgery and recovery and we, we definitely need to, to make sure we're counseling yeah. people enough. Mm-hmm. That's you, completely true. I mean, when patients tell me that they want a knee done because their sleeping is very disturbed and it wakes them up at night and that's like the main premise or it's, you know, going up and down stairs. I really take that extra minute to counsel them saying like, listen, like if that's your main reason for doing this, you're going to be pretty unhappy for several months afterwards because you'll be pretty, you know, miserable waking up at night and even stairs for, for four or five months sometimes after surgery. So the education part of it is important. The problem is how quickly people forget, right? Like mm-hmm. right now they want it done and then they forget everything that you counsel them on along the way. So back to your study, any thoughts about starting maybe melatonin preoperatively for a couple of weeks, seeing that if that helps at all and then my, I guess my second part is any any thoughts on some of these heavy duty insomnia medications is there a role from them because those are not benign by any means either and some of them are quite expensive so so both great questions to answer the first there have been studies looking specifically at total knee patients that found that improvements in sleep duration before surgery 
are associated with improvements in sleep duration after surgery. So I don't know if melatonin will be the thing that improves their sleep preoperatively if we were to give it to them, but I do think that what we can do to get patients to sleep better earlier, like intentionally tell them, all right, turn off the TV sooner, put away your cell phone sooner and try to get as much sleep as you can before this may help them in the post-operative setting, right? There are some studies that have suggested that, yeah. And then just to, to, to the second question about some of the stronger sleep medications, I think there's a lot of data coming out recently looking specifically at Ambien and some of these other stronger prescription sleep medications showing a sort of concerning side effect profile after total knee replacement related to drowsiness, related to fatigue, falls that I think we need to be very cautious about if we're to look into that further. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't prescribe those at all. I refuse to. And if they adamantly want them, then I, I tell them to go to their primary care doctor because I'm just very concerned about you know mixing it with oxycodone, falls, drowsiness, side effects in the perioperative period. So I obviously sympathize with the patients about sleeping, but I am very you know strict on that. And but I think your point of preoperative things, setting good habits. You know, whether it's prehab, doing the exercises, sleep patterns, I think all of that is very, very beneficial. And we should probably start doing that in, in all things. Like I said, you know, not only the exercises, therapy, eating habits, all of those, just like we try to get people to stop smoking, just like we try to get people to lose weight. We've even talked about doing a study on starting anti-inflammatories routinely. Like we tell everyone to stop taking meloxicam and other anti-inflammatories a week before. Like, you know, you have an inductive period where you can decrease the pain and inflammatory response, just like helping with sleep before instead of setting up good patterns and, you know, setting up yourself beforehand to have a good and successful outcome after surgery. So I think all those things are, are important. We should be doing those more. Yeah. You know, the solution here may not even be a medical solution, right? All these other yep. elements you speak about, they may actually be the most important part of this. You know, sleep is so complex. Like you mentioned, wondering, did you guys touch base with any sleep medicine specialists in preparation for this work and, and what their advice or will be moving forward? We, we did. We talked to them before and after, because we have other studies that we're planning on doing related to sleep after. And it's interesting talking to them because we're fortunate Cornell is right across the street and there's some really well-known sleep experts there. You know, what they really want is like intensive data from a polysomnography lab. So they want data from patients in the lab sleeping. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously not practical to do that in this type of study. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we've talked to them about getting wearables to be able to manage and better evaluate sleep architecture, mm -hmm. right? So sleep stages, sleep duration, how long it takes them to fall asleep, how many wakings they have throughout the night. And I think they're a little hesitant to use that when the gold standard is polysomnography, mm -hmm. but I think they're, they're certainly open to it. So that's sort of the next stage of this study. Have any of you guys explored any of the digital apps? So like these, these calming meditation, soothing based apps that are uh, reported to help with sleep in the non-surgical population as well. And maybe that's something we can incorporate into our protocols. I haven't started using that, but I'm wondering if you guys have any experience with that in your practices. Yeah. I haven't used it in patients at all. I've yeah. used it myself. You know, I've, I've done, you know, Aura, looking at kind of sleep patterns and, and those types of things, which is a ring wearable, no conflicts, which I think is great. And it tells you not only activity, but also sleep and what stage of sleep and how much sleep. And I've, I've used those and, and, you know, there's other apps like Calm App and things like that, which I think would be great to implement even before surgery, like we talked mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up. Thank you very much again, Dr. LeBron and Dr. Chalmers from HSS. Appreciate you sharing your work with us. And for our audience, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for our next episode of AUKUS Amplified. 
Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.